Role models are an interesting thing in today's world. The people that we look up to as examples in our society and that children look up to as they grow up are not always the ones that we should be looking up to. Charles Barkley in 1993, a basketball player, said, I'm not a role model. Just because I dunk a basketball does not mean I should raise your kids. For the past five Sundays, we've been studying the book of Philippians, and we've covered a lot in those five weeks. We've learned that no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter where you are in your walk with Jesus, there's always room to grow more, to go further in your faith and deeper. We've learned that the good news about Jesus overcomes all adversity, and this was true both in the first century church and today for us as well. We've learned that our conduct and our behavior as Christians, how we live and act as followers of Jesus, matters because it preaches a message to the world around us. Whether that is the message or the gospel of Jesus or something else is up to us. We've learned what conduct worthy of the gospel looks like, living humbly like Jesus, following his example, being in unity in spirit and purpose as a church, doing everything without muttering or complaining, and allowing the Holy Spirit to complete his work in us as we submit in humility to God and his will and his plan for the church, so that our light will shine in a world full of darkness and pain and hurt. Today we're going to look at some examples of what this faithful service looks like to God in action. We're going to look at two role models of faithful service, Timothy and Epaphroditus. So the fun thing about studying letters is that, you know, we kind of have it in our head that the, the Bible is a theological textbook. And in a sense, yes, it is. But at the same time, these letters were personal letters written by someone to someone. So we kind of have the fun of when we study through a letter, going through these personal remarks that someone wrote to someone else. So we've landed in some of these personal remarks of Paul this week. Uh, and it was kind of dealing with his plan to send these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, to Philippi. And what you'll notice as we read through this and learn about them is that they were both exemplary examples of faithful service to Jesus. And while the role models of our society today are not always people that we should look up to as Christians, these two men are prime examples of what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel. So let's finish out chapter 2 this week. Uh, it's going to be Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus. But you know how Timothy has proven himself. Like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in my need. 
But I am sending him because he's been longing to see you, and he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him, and also on me, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know that you will be glad to see him, and that I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love, and with great joy, and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you could not do from far away. So first of all, who are these two men that Paul is talking about? Who are Timothy and Epaphroditus? You're probably a little more familiar with the name Timothy and probably a little less familiar with the name Epaphroditus. So Timothy was a friend, colleague, and traveling companion of Paul. He's first mentioned in Acts 16.1, when Paul's on his first mission trip. Paul went first to Derbe and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium, so Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. So we know that Timothy had a Jewish heritage. Uh, in other places, we see that he's got this grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice, and they've kind of raised him in Jewish heritage, so he knew the, the Jewish scriptures quite well. And we know he was highly regarded in his hometown and in this neighboring town of Iconium, which was about 30 kilometers away. So even in the old world, like that was a walk for sure, but um, they would be familiar with some of the people in the neighboring town, even if they didn't have cars. Most likely, Timothy had become a Christian through the influence of his mother and the church elders in Lystra, uh, who had probably been converted in turn by Paul and Silas when they were on their first missionary journey through the area. So this is when Paul comes back on his second journey through the area, and this is somewhere in modern-day southern Turkey. So after Paul comes through, Timothy went with Paul after he left, uh, and he became a nearly constant traveling companion of his. And he's probably the best known of all of Paul's co-workers. Now, the book of Acts only mentions his name occasionally, and it doesn't record all his movements like it does for Paul, and that's kind of because Acts was written as a defense for Paul, so it really focuses on the early starting of the church and a lot of Paul's actions and Paul's ministry. But it is presumed, just from some of the other evidence in the letters, that Timothy traveled with Paul from the moment he left Lystra in Acts 16 all the way until Paul's imprisonment at the end of his third missionary journey. Um, but he also was kind of sent out in the midst of that too. So occasionally when Paul was preaching in a new town, when he was done there and ready to move on to the next town, he might leave Timothy behind while he went ahead to accomplish more work in those communities and to continue what he'd started while Paul goes to get started in the next town. Sometimes he would also send Timothy to do things he was not able to do himself, depending on the time and mission that Paul was called to. So we know that Timothy had most likely been sent out to Thessalonica, Corinth, and then we see here that he was sent out, or at least intended to be sent to Philippi. And then after the work that he was assigned to do was completed, he would always rejoin Paul wherever he was. So he was kind of Paul's right-hand man. Now, Paul also links Timothy's name into the introduction of his letters to Corinth, Colossae, Thessalonica, and Philippi. So if you remember all the way back our first week, Timothy was in that introduction. It's saying, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. 
And so it's kind of like that in all these different letters. Timothy's brought into the introduction. And so that kind of indicates that Timothy had either been in those places with Paul when he first preached there, or he'd been sent to those places at some point. Because that, what that really meant was that the people that Paul was writing to were familiar with Timothy and knew who he was. So essentially, Timothy was Paul's disciple. Paul poured his life into Timothy, passing on all that he personally experienced or learned about the gospel. And Timothy dedicated himself to learning under Paul, and as a result of that, he grew very deep in the faith, and he gave all of his time and energy to evangelism and teaching. He became a trusted and valuable colleague of Paul's. And we see that in Philippians 2.20, when Paul says, I have no one else like Timothy. We know that Timothy had also, in occasion, including in Ephesus, been authorized to appoint elders and establish order in the church. He was also authorized to supervise the other churches in Asia Minor, which is, again, modern-day Turkey. So we can kind of tell from all of this that he was one of Paul's closest and most trusted co-workers. He was Paul's right-hand man. So that's Timothy, but who's Epaphroditus? Unfortunately, we don't know nearly as much about him. The only references that we have for sure of him are in this passage we're studying today. There's a couple other places that are kind of talked about where, they, where someone's called Epaphras, and there's kind of a bit of debate as to whether that's this guy or not. Most people say it's a different guy. Uh, it was a very common name during that time. We know that Epaphroditus was a delegate of the church in Philippi. Uh, we know that at some point before this letter we're studying today was written, that he'd been sent to Paul with a gift from the church during his imprisonment. We know that Paul held him in high esteem. He calls him his brother, his fellow worker, and fellow soldier. And he says that if he had died when he was ill, it would have brought Paul sorrow upon sorrow. We know that when he arrived in Rome, where Paul was being held, he devoted himself full-time to the work of Jesus, both as an attendant of Paul's and as an assistant in his missionary work. We also know that because of how hard he worked for the gospel, that he'd become sick, seriously sick, and nearly died. We know that he recovered and that from here we can see Paul sent him to the Philippian church, sent him back home, most likely with this letter to the Philippians that we're studying. He may have functioned as a leader in the church of Philippi, uh, as Paul does refer to him as the church's apostolos in Greek, which is apostle or messenger. But that also could have just been referring to the fact that he brought a gift for Paul to Rome as a messenger. Um, but beyond these things, we don't really know that much else about Epaphroditus. So let's go back to the passage and look at these first couple verses. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. So one thing that's hard when you're preaching through a letter is that a letter is written as one document. It's meant to be read through all together. So when we kind of chunk it up, 
um, like you do in a sermon series, you kind of lose that context. So just as a reminder, this is right after that section about unity and humility in the church, the grumbling and complaining, the shining like stars. This is right after that. So this is kind of piggybacking off this. He's sending Timothy to kind of help them figure this stuff out. So Timothy had been with Paul in Philippi when he was last there. So Timothy was someone they knew already. Sending Timothy, his right-hand man, on a mission to them after the appeals Paul had just made for unity and humility in the church would have been a very powerful follow-up to the letter he sent. But in addition, not just to help him correct things, we also know that Paul really cared deeply about the people in Philippi, and we kind of talked about that before. He, he wanted to know how they were doing. The fact that Paul wanted to have news of him, it also sort of indicates that uh, Epaphroditus had been with him for quite a while, because Epaphroditus would have brought news of Philippi when he came, and so he wants to know how they're doing. Probably Epaphroditus has been with them for a while, maybe even a few years. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me. And I have confidence in the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. Paul has no one else with the same spirit as Timothy. No one else who he poured his heart and soul into, and no one else who had a heart for people like Timothy did. He was Paul's right-hand man and a natural pick to send to deal with the situation in Philippi because it was personally important to Paul. There was no one else he could trust with a mission that was so important and close to his heart. He was being sent into a delicate situation we don't know exactly what was going on in Philippi, and we've kind of talked about that, but the, the things that Paul's calling them to really kind of gives an idea of the issues that were going on. So this unity, humility, conduct worthy of the gospel, if Paul's asking them to do these things, it means that probably the opposite was happening to some degree. So Timothy was being sent into a delicate situation, and it would call for tact, wisdom, and patience. Not only does Paul know that he is the man for the job, Timothy is the man for the job, but he also says the Philippians know him. They know that he's proven himself. He's trustworthy. He's solid. He's tested and approved as an upright guy. They're sent, he's sending someone to them that they know and trust. He's not sending a stranger. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother a co-worker, and a fellow soldier, and he was your messenger to help me in my need. I am sending him because he has been longing to see you, and he was very distressed that you heard he was ill, and he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So like I said, this kind of is all we know about Epaphroditus in this section. But what we know of him is very positive. Paul speaks in glowing terms about him and his work and his contributions to the work of the gospel. And it kind of seems from this passage that when he was sent to Paul, the intention 
was for him to stay with Paul as his companion and assistant indefinitely. But these plans clearly went a little sideways after he became sick. He'd been working so hard, so hard at the ministry of the gospel, so hard for the church that he'd become sick and almost died. And if he had died, from this passage, we can see that Paul would have lost a valued friend, one who he saw as a brother, and a worthy fellow laborer. The church in Philippi would have also lost a valuable member and leader. But after he recovered, he wanted to go home because his home church in Philippi had heard he was sick, and being sick back then wasn't the same as being sick now. You know, you, you didn't have a way to find out how someone was doing hundreds of miles away, and there wasn't the same kind of science and medicine that we have now. You know, something as simple as a fever could be the end of your life. So they heard he was seriously ill, and they were worried, but they had no way to know how he was doing. So in turn, he was worried because he wanted them to know that he was okay. So after he recovered, he wanted to go home. And Paul seems to agree that given everything, that's the best decision. Uh, and so he sends them home, most likely with this letter that we're studying. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know that you will be glad to see him, and that I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy, and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you could not do from far away. So the return of Epaphroditus was to be met with joy and love. Remember I said that it was kind of intended to be a long-term thing. It wasn't meant to be go for a while and come back. He was supposed to be with Paul indefinitely. So what Paul's really saying here is there should be no suspicion or criticism against him. Paul is accepting full responsibility for the decision that he returns. So because he wasn't really expected to come back so soon, maybe ever, um, that may have caused some disappointment in the church. Some may have even concluded that his mission had failed. And of course, too, when he was coming back by that point, he wouldn't have looked ill. He would have been healthy again. So these stories of him being sick, uh, it, it may have caused suspicion. So Paul gives this glowing report of his work and his worth, this glowing appraisal of his value to the church so that they would know just how hard of a worker he was, that he almost died from all the work he'd done and that he should be honored for that. He should be honored for his faithful service. He risked his life for the work of the gospel and deserved to be honored for that. So in these personal notes from Paul, we have these two examples of what faithful service looks like. Glowing examples of what this means, everything we've been studying, what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel. So what can we take away from these two biblical examples, these role models of faithful service to Jesus? So first of all, faithful service means learning diligently. We really see this in the example of Timothy. To serve faithfully, we have to live up to our part of the Great Commission, in which we are the disciple, not just the part where we are the discipler. 
And that's not something we talk about. We say we're Christians, we have to go make disciples, and we do. But we also, as new Christians and as we grow mature, we also have a responsibility to be discipled. Timothy spent years shadowing Paul, learning everything that he knew, being taught both with words and by Paul's example. In everything, Paul was Timothy's mentor. Timothy learned under Paul like a son learned from their father. And we know Paul himself had been mentored and discipled in the scriptures growing up. He'd learned under a famous Jewish scholar called Gamaliel. The most important part of Timothy's faithful service as he started, as he began to work in the church, was to learn all that he could and be mentored into faithful service and ministry of his own, as he dedicated years to this work. Likewise, we know that the disciples of Jesus spent three years following Jesus around as he taught and did miracles. And occasionally Jesus would send them out on these kind of trial runs. Um, but we see that for these three years, they learned under a teacher. They were mentored by shadowing Jesus through his ministry. And this was the cultural way of Judaism. Um, there, whenever a rabbi would call a student... They would say, follow me, and they would come, they would shadow them everywhere. There's actually, it, it's kind of up for debate as to whether this is a folktale or not, um, but, but something that people have said is that there used to be a blessing in Judaism um, as they left to follow a rabbi, and it was, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. That was the blessing that they supposedly would give these students as they went to follow their new teacher. The idea was that you would stay so close to the person you were listening and learning from that you would catch all the dust from their sandals as they would walk. That as they were kicking up the dust, it would just cover you because you'd be following them so closely to learn from them. Likewise, we should all strive to find a mentor in our lives. Someone who has more life experience, who's gone deeper in Scripture, and who can give us godly wisdom. And I think this goes for all generations. I know people who've been in ministry for years who are, you know, in their 60s and 70s, and they have mentors or had mentors all the way up to these ages because there's always room for us to grow and learn. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. We should be continually looking for opportunities that will allow us to grow and learn in our faith so that we can be better, faithful servants of Jesus. Second, faithful service means loving selflessly. Timothy was not chosen to go to Philippi just because he was a good student. He was not sent to minister to them just because he had been there before either. He was chosen by Paul because he genuinely cared about their well-being. You can find anyone to beat on a Bible and yell at people and tell them they're messed up sinners. There's lots of people who are willing to do that. You don't need a specialist. You can find just about anyone to go somewhere, dump a message, and then leave. It's also not hard to do that. I would argue that even back then, it probably wouldn't have even been that hard to find someone who was familiar with Philippi to go do this. Someone who knew how to get there and maybe even knew some of the people there. But what is hard to find is someone who honestly, genuinely wants what is best 
for people because they love them. Timothy had the love of Jesus. He really and truly cared what happened to the Philippians. And it's funny how little we talk about love as a church because it's one of the most important parts of our faith. Everything is to be rooted in love. You know, one of the most common verses for wedding ceremonies is 1 Corinthians 13. You know, the whole love is patient, love is kind piece. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it wasn't written for weddings. It was talking about our love for each other as the church. And here's a little bit of that context before that passage. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but did not love others, I would just be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but did not love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my own body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. And then love is patient, love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud and rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. The picture I get from this, and the reason Paul chose Timothy is because love is important. If we don't serve with love, we might as well not serve at all. Like Timothy, we need to love each other selflessly. And then third, faithful service means serving passionately. And this is kind of an interesting thing to consider. Epaphroditus was an incredible example of serving Jesus with passion. He had been sent to deliver a gift to Paul and to take care of Paul while he was in prison. But you kind of get the picture from this that that's not where he stopped. He didn't say, great, I've done my job. You know, I'm a great servant. Now I'm going to go home or I'm going to keep bringing Paul some meals and stuff and make sure he's got paper. No, he worked so hard to help Paul to spread the gospel and to build the church that he became sick and almost died because of it. He literally almost worked himself to death in service of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that we should all work ourselves to the point of death like Epaphroditus. I think self-care is important. Um, but sometimes it, it feels like we drag our feet when it comes to serving. Now, I understand that life can be busy. I definitely, <coughs> excuse me, I get that. I'm... I'm almost addicted to being busy. I, I, I get bored so easy that if I have downtime, I'm just like, well, what's something else I can do because I get busy um, or because I'm not busy enough? So like right now, I'm working two jobs, working on my degree full-time this summer so I can graduate and get a third job. So I don't know if I'm crazy, but, <laughs> um, but I definitely understand what it means to, to, um, to be busy. Uh, and our world is one in which everyone's busy. There's always something to be doing. So it's important to know when to say yes and when to say no, but 
sometimes it feels like in the church, the big C church, serving God or serving or volunteering the church is our last priority. It's if I have space after all my other things, then I'll see if I can squeeze this in. I know that I've been guilty of that many times in my life. But faithful service to Jesus means not just serving, but serving passionately. It's not just showing up. Listen to this verse from Colossians 3, verse 23 to 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, because it is the Lord Jesus you are serving. Faithful service doesn't mean just volunteering half-heartedly. It means serving with passion, with all your heart, because it's really Jesus who you're serving in the end. So as I conclude, I hope that you see these two men, these biblical role models, as an inspiration and examples to look to and to follow in your own walk with Jesus. Everything that we've talked about over these last few weeks, biblical conduct, unity, humility, and love, being bright lights in a world of darkness, Timothy and Epaphroditus embody all of that in their faithful service to Jesus and to the church. And my prayer for us is that we would work hard to live up to the calling that Jesus has put on our lives, so much so that one day the generations that come after us will look at us as examples of faithful, dedicated service to Jesus, as role models of lives lived in pursuit of him. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the reminder of your plan as we uh, celebrate this Pentecost Sunday, as we reflect and look back on the day that you gave us the promised counselor and advisor to lead us in our walk with you and as the church grew and was built. I just ask today that as we reflect on all of this and as we reflect on all the things that you've called us to and what it means to be faithful servants of you, that you would fill us with your spirit that was given at Pentecost and allow us to be guided and led to service that honors you in everything. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.